There is an enemy that is opposed to what God is doing, opposed to God's people. And though we may miss that at times, it is the reality of this world that's been since the beginning. And we have uh, someone who's on our team, someone who's been uh, looking forward to the time when he can unite all of us safely with him and, and all of those heavenly beings uh, together under God's rule, God's kingdom. And when he came, he did some things to prove that he was uh, taking on the enemy. So in this series, just three weeks till Easter, but we are looking at how Christ crushed it. He is the one who led the way. He's made the difference. He's dealt with the enemy. And we are told in Genesis 3, when the temptation had happened and the dragon had led uh, our forefathers' mother uh, astray, God had to deal with that situation, and in that, he said, one will come one day in Genesis 3.15 who will crush the head of the serpent. So, wait till you see this, because Christ crushed it. This is the advance on enemy territory. So we're going to look at some things leading up to and then on on Resurrection Day, uh, these things that Jesus has done tested and we are looking at Matthew chapter 4 verse 1 and we are told that Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil he's led up by the spirit the Holy Spirit's involved in this into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and I want you to look at the word parazzo and that word translated tempted it's also translated to make proof of, to attempt, to test. So it can be all of those things. And that's what's happening when we get to chapter 4 of Matthew. We get another, uh, this, another outline of all these things in Luke as well. But here in Matthew, we're, we're given this direction uh, as Jesus goes out to the wilderness. So the wilderness is, you can pr- probably figure that one out on yourself by yourself. It's, it's out in the desert, it's away from everyone, and there's a whole area of Judea, the, the Dead Sea, we've got vast areas that were just open, and he, he's wandered in that direction. There's a reason for that. And the cosmology of that time, there was a sense in which the evil existed in the wilderness. So the devils are in the wilderness. That's where if you get stuck out there, you are in big trouble. If you're stuck on the ocean, that's the abyss. We don't know what lies underneath, but there are dangers and death waiting. So those were symbols and and in many ways, the reality of how they were having to deal with this world that's broken and that there is an enemy. So in the wilderness, uh, in, during the times that, that 
God had given instructions to the priest that on, on the high holy day, they are to have two sacrificial uh, rams brought in, and they put their hands on them, or, or goats, and so they've gotten these two, and one of them is sacrificed at the tabernacle or the temple, depending on what time frame this was in. The other one is released into the wilderness because he's carrying the sins of the people out to where sin is. So we came up with, in, in translation, scapegoat. The name is actually Azalel, which is, there's an actual name of the demonic person, being, that's involved in this. That is where the sin, the sin is sacrificed on the altar, blood sacrifice. The other one goes back out there. So you've heard of shunning or the whole idea of, well, you get, you know, turn them over to Satan. The whole idea is they're continuing to sin, they're not listening, they need to go back out, take their sin back out there to the wilderness until they repent. So that's that same idea. But this, in this case, but the sins of the nation, sins of Israel, on the scapegoat, or this one that's going to be sent out into the wilderness. So there's a test. Here's, and that's where we're at. So Jesus is going out to be tested. So let's back up. Then what? We're going to back up to Matthew chapter 3. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. This is amazing. The, there's, there's a lot going on in just that moment. So here's the cosmic challenge. Jesus is anointed and announced by God from heaven. And verse 17 is Matthew 3, 16 and 17. That's the verse before Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. So this is all leading up to that. Jesus is anointed and announced by God from heaven. The God of this world is not pleased. Spiritual beings of darkness are uneasy, battle-ready, and confused because Jesus has shown up. And you go, well, wait a minute. That's not how we understood this was going to go. We're waiting for Jesus to come back at the end of time or that Jesus would come back and take over as a ruler, as a king. He would destroy Rome. He would put Israel back on top. We're waiting for that. That's the expectation of the people of Israel was that's how Jesus is going to come back. Everyone missed this. Jesus is coming before he was coming. Jesus shows up to change everything and to take on the enemy before they thought he was going to come. And now he has just been anointed and announced at the baptism. So who's at the baptism of Jesus? Jesus, the Son of God. The Holy Spirit comes down like a dove. And God the Father is speaking. What does Jesus tell us we're supposed to do when we baptize people? Name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Any parallels? Because that's the end of this last chapter of this book. Yeah, there's a parallel. Baptism is about entering in, being immersed in 
this relationship with the living God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, joining with Him, joining with them in a battle. It's joining with them as a family. It's being anointed and ready for the things that are about to unfold. I thought it was just to get rid of my sins or so I can join the church. No. This is about saying, I am now ready to join. I have just been commissioned to go into the army. I'm ready to join the battle. And that's what Jesus has done. And God said, this is my son. And remember that he said that. Because when you read through chapter 4, something's going to come up. This is my son. And I am really pleased with him. That just ticks everybody off on the other side. So... Let's go with, if you are the Son of God, Matthew 4, verses 2 through 4. For 40 days, 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, God just said he was his Son and that he was pleased. Who would come and say the opposite of that? The liar, the deceiver, the enemy. So he's getting the opposite info here. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he turns it around. He says, no, I'm going with God, God the Father. I'm still, you know, this, this is the battle that's on. So he's overcoming we're told this in First John chapter 2, that there are things that are of the world and things of the Father. So if we are caught up in the, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, those three are of the world, not of the Father. Notice how these things unfold and what things the devil's using here in this case. Jesus has gone into the wilderness where sin is where Azalel is, where the enemy is, and he's gone to that place. God the Father has anointed him. All of this sparks the things in the heavens that say this battle is on. He has just kicked sand in the face of these heavenly beings, the dark ones, and they are totally attentive to what's going on, and the battle is getting ready to get fierce. He goes out there and says, I can spend 40 days without eating or drinking. I can just go out in 40 days and take you guys on. I can be in a weakened state and take you guys on. And I, I can just hear him saying things right now, just kind of a buzzing sound in my head. Just speaking to them with his actions, with his determination, with I can overcome the desires of the flesh. I don't even... Like he didn't know he could turn those things into bread. I mean, he created everything. He knew what he could do. He's not bothered. He's just, I am here for the Father. And I am here in your face to prove to you, you don't have power over me. You don't have a hold on me. He's gone into enemy territory, and he's spitting in the face of Satan right in the middle of this. If you are the Son of God. And Jesus is going, oh gosh, here we go. But that doesn't, you know, that's not enough for the devil. So if you are the son of God, 
jump Matthew 4, verses 5 through 7. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. So he's, he's throwing out these different things. That, okay, if maybe, maybe I'll try it from this angle. Maybe you'd feel important if the angels came and rescued you. He's the son of God. I think he could float down if he wants to float. I mean, this, this guy's not understanding the, the son of God. He's really, uh, Jesus is really just in their face because there's more of these beings uh, observing. Uh, just like the angels, they're also observing. That's why he makes a point of this. He will order his angels to protect you. Well, in the heavenly places, he could see there's Michael and Gabriel and hosts of others over here that are watching this unfold as well. They're in the wilderness, uh, wilderness on earth, but the heavenly beings are around observing from another vantage point as these things are unfolding. And Jesus doesn't bite on that one. You know, I know the angels can do that. That's not, not the thing. I just, I'm just going to test the Lord. So he's hungry. He's been out there alone all this time. So when is it for human beings, even those of us who follow Jesus, are least likely to be in control of ourselves, to have clarity, to be able to answer someone? When is it, or how long does it take until somebody gets hangry? Well, shoot, I haven't had lunch. It's 3 o'clock. I have a right to yell at everybody. What? 40 days, 40 nights. And he is in absolute control of himself. He's not falling apart. He knows what the enemy's up to. He reads it. He responds to it without losing himself, without excusing anything. That's victory. And he's, in the, he's just showing them, I am the son of God. And I can be human and be the son of God. And I can overwhelm you. And he does. Give you the world, Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. He just never loses his cool or his composure or his clarity. He knows what he's there for. He knows what God is doing. He, he knows the scriptures. He's able to deal with Satan and do away with Satan. Oh, and by the way, you notice that Satan is using scriptures. So if you come up with some wild, weird idea in your head, and you go, well, it's got a verse for it. Don't assume because it's a verse that that's from God. Did you get this? Because those weird verses that show up that 
always promote, they're self-promoting. They will go with the desires of the flesh. They will promote our own image or make us somehow look better than others. There's a bunch of them that float around and people just grab onto those verses and, oh, that's, that's, that's me. That's God's word. That's the promise for me. Really, because Satan's using a bunch of verses here as he tests the Lord, and the Lord's not going with it because he understands what these really mean. Because no, if it's if it's elevating me, if it's turning rocks into bread, if it's making me look cool jumping off the highest point of the temple, or I can have all the kingdoms of the world, it's all about me, isn't it? So look out, because the devil is not, uh, or his uh, the other minions are not are not uh, short on ideas, and they know the scriptures inside and out. They also believe God, that there is God. It's not like, oh, we, we don't believe. They know. They just know it to be true, and they are opposed, which means they are opposed to you, unless you go with them. I'm just saying don't go with them. This is a time to go, I need to look at this. I need to understand what the Scriptures are saying and what, God, what I'm supposed to be doing and where we're headed because Jesus was able to do that, and he's hungry, and we eat pretty regular. So when we get tired, worn out, and we get short with people, we just really need to think about some Matthew chapter 4. Come back to understand who he, who he is and what he has done. So he said, though, he's responded to the enemy. Uh, the devil went away in verse 11. Then the devil went away, and angels came and took care of Jesus. That's kind of cool. Now think of the angels. These are his buddies. He's created them. They've been around for eons. They've hung out together. He knows all their names. You know, Bill, Bob, Daisy, all of them. And, they, and they've come to hang out to take care of him, to be with him. And this is, this is a reunion kind of a thing. And they are opposed to the devil, devils, and all that's going on on the evil side of things. So they are thrilled to come in and be part of this. Divine destruction, verses 23 to 24. Look what he does. And remember, we've gone from baptism. Basically, he's unknown. He shows up with John, his cousin, gets baptized, and he is launched. God says, that's it. You know, here's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all together, baptism, out. He doesn't go straight from baptism to a dinner. He doesn't go straight from there to Jerusalem. He doesn't go there to visit anybody. He goes to the wilderness. He takes on the enemy. So that's immediate. Then what does he do? Because he comes back after all that. The angels take care of him. And, and they brought some great stuff so he could eat. Uh, news about him spread as far as Syria. And people be, soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them. So he comes back and this whole battle is still going on. He's dealing with the physical realities. People are sick, disease. But he's also dealing with the demon-possessed. So how many religious people would there be? that would be demon-possessed, because, you know, 
if you if if you believe in the Lord and and you got scriptures and and you tithe and you go to church or you go, or you just think you've got it all together, what are the possibilities that you could be demon possessed? Because that's what we're doing. These are religious people. These are religious people in a religious nation who are committed to the Hebrew scriptures, to the God of the Bible, and he's trying to get rid of demons. They're sick, normal, that kind of, we still get sicknesses. But in our modern age, we go, well, you know, people aren't possessed. You know, that stuff doesn't happen. And then we just move on, and we give them some drugs and call it good. And Jesus is going, there's an enemy trying to take you down. And you think because you are in a religious community, you could be just perfectly safe. And he's going, that's not the case at all. Because the enemy is trying to find a way in. Sometimes he promotes some of this uh, epilepsy or some other sickness or disease. The enemy and the enemies, because there's more than one, are involved in that. And he's come to say, I'm taking over. We're going to turn this thing around. We're going to call it what it is. We're going to call them out, and we're going to deal with it. That's what he's doing. And he has come through baptism, anointed by God, dealt with the devil, tempted, tested, proved himself. That word parazzo deals with all that. And he comes out the other end able to go, all right, let's go take on all of this out there in the communities, wherever people are, and let's go help them. Freeing victims of darkness. People are turning to Jesus. They're turning from, uh, in this case, their, their way of thinking about how God is involved, how God communicates, how God uh, touches lives. And Jesus is overcoming the bonds of brokenness. That brokenness that we've inherited as, as just being human beings and the fall that took place with Adam and Eve and the rebellions that have happened since. Those, all of those things are now affecting human beings on this planet, and there's brokenness, brokenness in relationships, brokenness in the mind, brokenness in the body, brokenness in politics and society, and he's coming now to turn things around. So let's, let's go after this and begin to deal with this. His involvement sets off this terror thing that kind of goes through the uh, evil beings society. I don't know what they call that. I should work on that one. <laughs> Demon issues. Demon issues. In Matthew 8, verse 29, he goes over and gets in the middle of them. And, and they began screaming at him, the demons, why are you interfering with us, son of God? Have you come here to torture us before God's appointed time? So here's the bigger picture. Demons know who Jesus is. The people around, even the religious ones, are having trouble figuring out who, who is this guy. And why does he say things the way he says them? Why, why is he doing what he's doing? Where did he get this power? What is, the questions are there. The demons, however, and no, and no human being has called him son of God at this stage of the game. Nobody. How come the demons know that right off the bat? He just shows up on the shore, and they know who he is. And they think, "Uh uh-oh, we've just jumped to that end time thing, and he's going to put us away, and we didn't think it was coming this soon. 
So that's why they're, they're shouting at him. G- demons know who, he, who Jesus is. There is a scheduled time that demons know about. I know that's coming. Jesus' second coming will definitely take care of, of all of their plans. And they know that. People focused on their trivia miss the cosmic choreography. People focused on their trivia miss the cosmic choreography. There's all of these things that are playing. They're still going on. Jesus is still victor. He's still guiding. He's still giving us instructions. We have the gospel to say, this is what happened then. And it's laid out in such a way that we can go, okay, so what, can Je- what did Jesus do then? What do we need to understand? What was the, the cosmology? What do I need to understand about a worldview that affects me today? Because those, those heavenly beings, are, they've been out there a long time. They don't die. They're not mortal like, like we are. So people come and go, but that's not the case for them. So they've been, they were around then, and they're around now. And like these demons are shouting, is this the time? And nope, it's, we're not there yet. It's 2,000 years since then. So where are they? They were in the pigs for a little bit, and then they got loose. So where are they? Any of them in Oklahoma, because some could have made it over here. There are beings that we have to deal with. So how do we do that? Jesus is advancing on enemy territories, making a difference by entering into this to win the victory for us. Because if not, we're being assaulted. What if we don't realize we're being assaulted by evil beings? Well, that's on us, because he's written about it. And he's given us clarity that he wins. The demons are smarter than we are, and they recognize from the get-go that is the Son of God. What we don't know is, is this the time? And we're out of here. So that creates a little bit of an issue. There is a scheduled time. People focused on their trivia miss the cosmic choreography. So that's the bigger picture of all of these things that are unfolding. So what would be the trivia that you have? What keeps you so busy, so occupied, so involved that you miss what God is doing in the bigger picture? Everyone that dies, I normally say this at funerals, I skipped it at dad's for some reason, but when people die, they are entered into the eternal state. They, they can see things. They don't know everything. So those songs that say, when we get there, we'll know it all by and by. No, we don't. We know, but we, what we do know is God is real, this is real, and oops, I should have gotten that together. So as soon as dad got there, what ran through his mind was, you know, I should have made more money. I should have had another hobby. You know, the thing I really needed to do was uh, fix that car up. You know, really important stuff. Nope. Because it all goes right out the window. The moment he opened his eyes there, and he sees the glory of the heavens and the presence of the Lord, all that trivia, and it all becomes trivia then. All of it. All those worries. All of it. So what would happen to a human being who got a grip on these things now? Instead of when they open their eyes in heaven. What would that look like? 
How different would that be? What priorities would be different? People focused on their trivia miss the cosmic choreography. And if, if the enemy of our souls is busy keeping us caught up in all of those things, just tied up, upset, or looking for, what would satisfy me? What other things could I have? What other, what can I get? What, what can I add? And that would, that would be, you know, adding value to my life. Or if I just had another hobby. There you go. Nothing wrong with any of those things. It's just when they become so much a part of our thinking and our hearts that we miss out on what God is doing, uh, it becomes problematic. And Jesus is trying to bring people back down and go, wait, no, this is a real battle. I'm here to change things. I have entered into this to change things. And the demons got it. The demons got it. We need more people to get it, to join with him, to join with him in what he's, he's doing. Prime directive. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. First and greatest. So how hard is that one to remember on Monday? Wednesday afternoon, Friday night. First and greatest commandment. And if you have a great love for something, what do you do with your time? Where do your thoughts go? What happens then? And the Ten Commandments, the first thing is, have no other gods before me. So how many do we have? It's all he's saying is, First and greatest. First and greatest always. Well, it's just, you know, as long as my heart's, I'm just kind of okay with, with God, and then I'll get on with my own stuff. He's okay with me doing that. No, he's not. Ask him. Talk to my dad. He's going, uh-uh. That's not how this works. And those things do not carry over. They will burn. They will rot. They will rust. They will die. There are things that last. This one lasts. But the prime directive is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, using everything you've got to move in his direction, to think and to see what he's doing, to have a perspective that comes from, from him. There's a second part to that in Matthew, but Matthew's talking to Jewish people, or Jesus is talking to the Jewish people in Matthew 22. So the different context when he's announcing the new way things are going to be at the end of John, or in John, he is telling them, I'm going to take that love thing up a notch when you're loving people. So we're going to go there for the second part. A new commandment, John 13, 34. Jesus said, so now I am giving you a new commandment, love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. If we love like him... He's given us a model. He's given us instruction. It follows on the heels of the first and greatest commandment. We've got to love God, then we can love people. If we don't love God, our love is going to be pretty earthly. 
It's going to be based on whatever my experience, my knowledge, the way I was raised, whatever. It's going to be culturally, it fits whatever culture I'm in. That's not the Jesus way of loving. Because he can handle even the enemy after 40 days, 40 nights of fasting and not be yelling, screaming, hollering, looking out for himself. So even in your own home, can you go without eating two or three days and be really nice to people? <laughs> wow. <laughs> so that's not going to work. We've got to love people the way Jesus did. Then this is, this is a whole new level of all those. He raises the bar quite a bit. He doesn't do that without giving us help. The Holy Spirit's come to do that. He's given us instructions are written in the scriptures. But it's not the same thing. The advance, 1 John 3, verse 8. The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. I thought he was just coming to make us nice people. And just help us get along. That we'd be better in community. Well, that happens. You get rid of the devil, a whole lot of good stuff starts happening. So he's come to deal with that. And it helps if we deal with that too. So we join with him, we get baptized, we enter into this new warrior status, we put on the full armor of God, and we go into battle and understanding that that he's trying to accomplish some great things. And then we can do more good for people at home and in the community and the whole of the world if we do it that way. What you can do, be grateful. Jesus came to accomplish cosmic victories. Be grateful Jesus came to accomplish cosmic victories. It's bigger than we think. It doesn't mean we dismiss all those other things or they have no value. Of course not. They do. All of it's important. But this one kind of gets shoved off the table. And it's really clear from Scripture this was not secondary. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Be grateful he came. Be an intentional intentional follower of Jesus. Really going to do it. Going to follow through. Get in the scriptures. Let him change me. I'm not going to stop at, well, this is what I've always known. Don't, Don't tell me nothing different than that. Nope. Willing to learn. Willing to grow. Willing to be transformed. Be an intentional follower of Jesus. Be ready to enter the real battle. Be ready to enter the real battle. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but but against principalities and powers and the heavenly places. We have a lot of work to do, probably a lot of learning to do, and he wants us to get there, join him in this process, and we kick it off at baptism. Isn't that cool? Immersed in the love of God, in that relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then we enter in. And today we celebrated communion, so we had the Lord's Supper. We're joining with the other members of the faith all around the world, saying that Jesus is the one. He is the way. He's the one we're going to follow, and we're ready to advance into enemy territory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for these uh, remarkable words in Scripture that help us to understand what's going on, the bigger picture, 
of what's unfolding and to make us better human beings here and in the future forever. I pray, Lord, that we would listen to you, that we would draw near to you, that we would seek ways to get closer to you and to listen to you in the process. Thank you for your love for us and for what Christ has done on the cross. We are so grateful. And it is in his wonderful name we pray. Amen.